back to Bird Road. This is Q. We need new blood in Florida politics. I talk about it all the time. Last year we had a, a commissioner, now Commissioner Eileen Higgins on. Um, we supported her, not just because of how great her policies were, which they were, but also because she represented a, a new last name in a county in Miami where it's the same five or six last names that run everything. Similarly, up north in Broward County, it's a lot of entrenched power up there. But our guest today is about as new blood as you can legally be and still run for office. So Elijah Manley is a 20-year-old Broward College student. He's running for Florida House District 94 seat on a progressive platform against an establishment uh, primary opponent named Bobby Dubose. So welcome, Elijah, to Bird Road. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, I know you had to fight that Miami traffic to get down here, which is a disaster, and I feel terrible putting you through that. I'm getting used to it now. Uh, I'm really glad I'm not actually driving yet, but now I know what to look for. <laughs> so I, I want to start off with the, the question that I ask a lot of folks when they're running for office, which is like, why are you running? Right, perfect. I love this question, actually. There are so many reasons why I'm running. The first one is uh, we don't have a lot of young people in politics, and that's very sad because we're actually going to become the largest voting bloc in this country really soon. And it's about time we start passing that torch on to our generation to determine our own destiny. Um, but I'm also running because uh, I grew up in this community. I really love this community a lot. I love Fort Lauderdale. And I think that we can have better representation than what we're having. Um, personally, I do uh, like Bobby DeBose, but I also think that when you're taking money from corporations that uh, bus unions um, where you're not really responsive to your district because you um, went unchallenged and unopposed for so many years, you be, you began to uh, really not serve the people. So I think that I can do a better job. I can continue to fight um, for young people, for old people, for everybody who believes that now is the time to move this country forward. So people um, who are not in South Florida and maybe even people who are who don't know all the mm -hmm. lines of the districts, talk to me about, talk to us about what District 94 is, like what's the makeup, who lives there, what are, what, what are those people, what do the people in that district care about? Absolutely, so it's definitely a democratic district and whoever wins the primary is automatically... Uh, right, the primary is it. The primary is it, so we, that's one obstacle. District 94 covers Fort Lauderdale, Wilton Manors, uh, a little bit of Oakland Park, a little bit of Lauder Hill, and almost all of Plantation actually. Uh, it's a very uh, centralized district in, Bro in Broward County. Um, it goes uh, as far east as Los Olis and Fort Lauderdale, as far west as uh, close to Sawgrass, and it takes up a little bit of um, going down to 595. So it's a, it's a really big district, it's really central, um, it has a lot of schools in it, a population of about 160,000 people. It has a very strong uh, Caribbean community, a very strong black community, and a very strong Jewish community as well in the district. And you're a lifelong resident there? Lifelong. I think I was born in a district, too. I think Broward General might actually be in a district. Yeah, who knows what the way they changed the lines. Back then, it might have been District you know, district. 73 or something. <laughs> hey, they're trying to change it again soon. Yeah, with the redistricting, yeah, in, the, in so 2020. So you might not have a district. Something, something else to look forward to. Speaking of which, what do you, what do you think about, um, I figure you'd be a good person to, to, to pick the brain on this subject, the, the, the recent um, uh, big spend by Andrew Gillum, $150,000 that he's putting into a lot of the the house the, the house races and i know he tends to align with with your opponent but i would imagine that you know ideologically you, there's some overlap with you and the former um the former mayor of tallahassee and uh i don't know what do you think about that i think it's good that he's spending that money and helping uh the party really uh, get influence in areas uh we may not have been competitive in the past um 
I have a lot of respect for Andrew. I remember uh, when I was an intern for County Commissioner Del Honus, and one of my tasks uh, in a primary was to pick up Andrew Gillum from outside and bring him up to the commissioner's office. Um, and a lot of my voters were the same voters, Andrew Gillum. We shared a lot of voters in Broward County, and um, he won with Broward County. And I think, uh, you know, we campaigned really heavily to get this guy elected. And, you know, it's unfortunate that he didn't win the election. Um, and yeah, he might be aligning more with my opponent or not. I'm not sure uh, what he's going to do in the primary, but I do have a lot of respect for him, and I do hope he runs again. And hopefully he uh, continues to spend money. But I think a lot of that money, instead of going just to the House races, it should go towards voter registration um, and other efforts to get more people registered. Because yeah, and getting out to vote on the day of and in the, months, in the months prior, getting registration Absolutely. done. Yeah, which is always a chronic problem down here in, in, in Florida. Getting people to vote sometimes is hard. And I understand why, too. I, you know, a lot of people, they complain about, you know, why aren't people voting or why aren't they turning out on election day? And people just really aren't interested in politics because they don't see anybody or anything that really inspires them mm -hmm. to go out and vote. And I do think uh, with this new generation where, I mean, I think this is um, the most politically active our generation's ever been. Yeah. And I think a lot of that's going to be reflected next year. I mean, I just remember in the, during the midterms in 2018, only a year, a year ago, uh, there was fights. There were fights here in, in Miami-Dade to open up more polling hours and locations yeah. in the the college campuses, and I think that that was the case too up in Broward, right? Yes, I yeah. believe so. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a different a different era. I mean, like you look at even even you as a candidate, right? You think about 15 years ago when you were baby still, you were five years old, you were my daughter's age at that time. But I think about 15 years ago. And I think about if I would have had you on this show 15 years ago, the like the first thing would have been like, uh, there's a gay man running out, <laughs> and oh my God, a gay black man is running for for uh, for office openly. And now I, it's not even something that's mentioned in the, in the open. That, you know, people's gender, people's sexuality is not as much of an issue. It seems to straight folks like me, but I would imagine that it is still. You're running in a pretty conservative state, even. Considering how how strong Broward is democratically, Miami Dade too, there's still true. strong conservative leanings. How are you true. dealing with that? That is true. I think uh, you're very right. You're very correct. Um, there are a lot of issues, even amongst Democrats, and you know, even within the Caribbean community, um, with really, with really having that respect for us, and it's unfortunate. Um, but I do have Wilton Manners in my district, so I think that's going to be a very big plus. But I also give a- For those that don't know, um, if you, those outside of, out of Miami, if you ever saw The Birdcage in, uh, in, in, in the TV show, or the movie in the, in the 90s, um, that community, by and large, left Miami Beach during the course of the last 20 yes. years and moved uh, throughout Broward County, but very heavily concentrated in, in, in Wilton Manners. Manners, yeah. So I know those are gonna be real big votes. Uh, I, I want to give a lot of credit to Representative Chevron Jones, though. I think what he, you know, him came in out, him coming out um, a year ago really helped change the political landscape. Before he was the only uh, member of, he was the only person in office that actually called me when I was running. He didn't offer an endorsement, but offered advice, mm -hmm. which was uh, very respectful. And now I understand why, because you don't see a lot of uh, gay black men in politics or gay people in general, really, in politics. Um, but I give him a lot of credit because uh, him running really opened up uh, a conversation that was really needed and opened up pathways for people like myself to run and not really uh, have to face uh, 
too much of a struggle because uh, if he hadn't come out, I would have been really a lone bearer in South Florida. Um, talk about that a little bit. This isn't this isn't your first run, mm-hmm. right? And what what caught my eye when I was looking at sort of what your chances are and and, and how, um, how how what, how how much of a a chance you stand against this more established opponent of yours. I saw, obviously, you ran for an at-large seat on the Broward School Board, yes. um, I believe a year ago, right? Yes. A year and a half ago. Absolutely. And uh, in that run, you did not win, but you got 43,000, a little more than 43,000 votes. Yeah. The last time that your opponent this year ever won an election that was contested in any way, he did it with 8,000 votes. Yes. So. What does that tell you? Just that simple math. I know that obviously the districts and the proportions are, are different because it's count, it's countywide versus yes. the smaller section of the county. But you have a following, right? Yes, absolutely. I think more, almost half. Last time we did the calculations, it was close to half of my votes actually came from District ninety four. A lot of people in Fort Lauderdale, um, Wilton Manors, uh, and and Plantation actually voted for me, as well as did a lot of people in the Caribbean community as well. Um, I think the you're correct. The, the only time he actually had to run was this, his first time, and that was a smaller primary, and I don't think much people voted in that primary. And he doesn't have the benefit that a lot of incumbents uh, have, which is uh, ballot name recognition mm-hmm. and uh, having run strong campaigns before. He's really relatively new. Um, the only other downside to that is uh, because he's uh, elected to be the next Democratic leader of the House, there's a lot of PAP money. There's a lot of resources he's going to have. But again, you know, having money doesn't really do a lot if you don't have, uh, you know, the field team, if you don't have the people that are willing to campaign for you. And I think I actually have that. I think a lot of people recognize that we're in some times where we need new people in public office and people who aren't just going to get elected and not pay attention to the district because they don't have anyone challenging them, but actually pay attention to everybody and represent everybody. I want to get to this concept of uh, sort of your your team and the grassroots and having actual people on your side versus money on your side because I think that that's something we're seeing through the nation. You're standing, you're sitting in front of me in a Bernie shirt, which <laughs> is great. It makes my heart happy. And uh, it, but uh, that's kind of what that whole the whole movement is predicated on, and and, and it's great. But uh, first, I wanted to ask you: Have you caught any flack, or have you heard anybody saying? Because you're so young, the more established route is, you know, interning and then, you know, being on a staff for 10 years and then paying dues in all these different ways and that you've, you're you jumping ahead in line or anything like that. I mean, have you caught any sentiment like that from people? Yes, in a way. Uh, fortunately, it's not as much as last time. Um, uh, thank goodness I ran last time. I know a little bit now what to do. Uh, they have they haven't actually said internships now they actually have asked me to run for other offices uh, smaller offices um because in broward county with that seat specifically everyone takes turns so Mm -hmm. you know someone's a state senator and when they're gone a state rep becomes a state senator and this person becomes a state rep and yeah it's musical chairs yeah it's musical chairs and they all you know i'm kind of messing with that that little thing they got going on there that we they call it the cis trump mafia uh, (laughs) for some reason um but they've actually told me, you know, why not run for the Fort Lauderdale City Commission against uh, Commissioner McKenzie? Um, it's a smaller race. You only need about 1,500 votes to win. Um, I know that area is my neighborhood. Um, and they'll help raise the money for me. But I'm not interested in being their pawn uh, or playing a game with them. I think that, you know, when you decide to run for office, you have to really want to do um, the job of the office you're running for. 
And yes, there are going to be people who are ages. There have been people saying, you know, Tallahassee is a Tallahassee is a, a different type of situation. You're not going to survive Tallahassee. You don't know how to get around that type of environment. Start local. Um, but I, you know, one thing stuck with me through all of this. A, a thought that came in my mind, and that thought was, if you keep waiting, you know, they want you to wait now. Wait two years, but that two years can easily turn into twenty, and they're never going to really want you to run for office and be successful. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you that there's no point in, I mean, if you have something to say and you have a message and a platform, and again, you have people that can help you uh, get there, do it now. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about your network and how have you, what, what um, I guess, what like veins of political activity have you tapped into to try to like get people activated, knocking on doors, canvassing, right. or or just keeping your name in their mouth? Well, we definitely are building a big field team. I think if we continue on the trends that we're doing, we're going to have probably the biggest field team in Broward. I'm looking forward to having more than 500 people knock doors wow. uh, for me in this election. Um, I'm not interested in losing again. <laughs> the second time is not, you know, the second time should be the charm in this case. Um, but uh, we've been reaching out to people all across the country too uh, to get help with fundraising um, because we're not going to be able to compete with PACs, unfortunately, right. and we're not taking PAC money. So no, it's a different game. It's a different. It's game. a completely different game, and the only way you can compete, is, yes. uh, like a campaign like yours, is to change the to change the game basically. <laughs> change the game. Focus on the things that matter. But we're also building connections with people inside the district too. Uh, a lot of uh, educators. Uh, who's either supported me in the school board election or who know who I am. Um, actually, I heard a few days ago that uh, I was at a party. This is a weird story, but I was at a party, a uh, beach party, and I was hanging out with a few people, and they didn't recognize me at all. They're students at South Broward High. And then she asked me, are you Elijah Manley? And I said, yeah, how do you know my name? <laughs> she said, holy crap, I learned about you in class. I'm like, what? She said, "We, my whole class wrote a paper on you in oh, class wow. on your run and everything, and that was really inspiring. Wow. So I got in contact with them and I told them if they want to help out and volunteer, get their whole school to come out and volunteer. We'll give them the service hours they need, or we'll give them food, whatever they want, just come in and help volunteer. And I think um, that's going to be very helpful to young people uh, in Broward County. What do you think when you hear stories like that and you, you, you get that feeling? I, I know a lot of times it can feel like you're just like mining away and there's it's thankless and it's endless, yeah. but then it, every once in a while a little bit of sun breaks through and it feels like you're getting through. I mean, what, what's that like? It's very, it's very helpful because, you know, life is definitely hard, especially as a young person and getting involved with politics. You know, sometimes you feel like, well, there's no path forward, there's no reason to do any of this, or you're up against giants, there, there's no reason to actually fight these people. And then, you know, the little things come along and they're actually bigger than people think when they say things like that. So that was really inspiring. That really, uh, that really made me think about why I'm doing this a little bit more. Because at first I didn't think anybody cared or anybody was looking up. It's just a little school board seat or anything. But you know, I'm the youngest person to ever run for county uh, for office in Broward, and that does mean a lot to to the youth population there. That they are looking, they, they are watching, and I might not see it all the time, yeah. but now I understand that just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean you don't have an impact on people's life because every day someone's not testing you about it. How have you been able to? reach out to it's tough because like i think about the way that local media works down here in south florida it's very either it's like silly local tv news or it's inside baseball you yeah. know uh <laughs> the scoop. yeah exactly so have you 
tried to leverage any like media awareness and try to try to get your name out there you've already had a lot of articles and things written about you but um in the context of this race that you're in now what have you been trying to do we've had a few i think a lot of it's going to come next year for sure uh I'm, I'm i'm expecting the blackout for a little bit maybe a little, not as much of a media blackout as, as last time uh it's just a lot of people want to see drama in politics right they, you know that that's what sells people want to see drama what did this candidate do what happened here what did they say and then everything gets lost in translation. So what we've been trying uh, to do in a campaign is find a new way, uh, a new strategy to reach out to people that doesn't revolve around uh, just the media. Mm -hmm. Try to get the candidate. Uh, my, uh, my, my staffers think of, it, think of it like this. It's a company, I'm the product. They're selling me the product to the people. And the goal is get the product, me, out there to people as much as you possibly can. Okay. So maybe they don't need to see the article or, or whatnot. But I think a lot of national media is probably gonna pick up on this race um, uh, for many reasons. One, I'm young, uh, uh, LGBT person, um, young again, <laughs> young, 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 running against. Yeah, so. don't, don't, don't stop playing that card, man. Don't stop playing that card at all. And then, you know. You don't I, have it forever, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, the wrinkles are already coming in a little bit. But I'm compared to AOC in a, in a way. Um, running against someone who really is the Joe Crawley of Florida. He's uh, yeah, just been part of the machinery in the background kind of forever, yeah. but also powerful yeah. and, powerful you know, and not moving, not going anywhere. Doesn't feel like he's going anywhere. And uh, he you know, he's the, going to be the leader for the Democrats in the next term, unless I mess that up. Um, and I think uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez really changed things a lot for young people in this country and, yeah. and her victory, uh, you know, Senator Sanders did as well, but I think what AOC has managed to do is uh, really inspire a lot of young people and, and, and allow them to re uh, recognize that you don't have to have a lot of money and you can go up against giants and you can knock them down. Um, you just have to be willing to put the work in and offer something better, or a, a vision too. And a lot of people don't, unfortunately, don't think that we're capable of offering a vision. And I have people, I have had people tell me a lot you don't know what you're talking about or how are you going to do this and or because you're progressive you're being unrealistic yeah. or because you come from the left pie in the sky pie in the sky <laughs> talk about that i think it, it's funny i want to set the framing for the listeners here because uh the the news that comes out of broward county every four years is you know deep democratic stronghold in florida we always you look on election night and whoever the democrat is has a million votes coming out of out of broward and the, the republican has like two hundred thousand, right and I think that people have this misconception that Broward is San Francisco or Brooklyn, right. <laughs> and it's not. It's yeah. a different flavor of Democrat. It's a Democrat that is uh, largely Latino, largely black or mm -hmm. Caribbean. And they um, they have certain, they're not as progressive or as left-leaning as you would think. They're very centrist. They're very right. Clintonite. They're like that's, Clinton Democrats. That's very true. So <laughs> tell me about the difficulty of trying to get that message that you're talking about out when it's coming from the left of where a right. lot of your voter voting base is and, and how's it been received? Right, uh, it's that's a good question. It, it is a little bit difficult. You mentioned things like that to people there. Oh, he's one of those guys. He's yeah. one of those Sanders people or yeah. one of those uh, <laughs> those uh, uh, extremists or lefty people. And and when I have conversations with people, I try to you know get rid of the labels first. Don't think of this as left, don't think of you know socialism or whatever you wanna think of, or boogeyman. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. This is the idea, these are popular ideas. A lot of people support these ideas. Stuff like Medicare for all, things uh, the rest of the industrialized world are already taking advantage of. Things like uh, tuition-free public college. 
And I think a lot of those things are landing with people when you have the conversation um, with them about these things and you explain to them how we're going to pay for it as well. Um, in, in my campaign so far, I've had a lot of great reception from people because a lot of people want to see passion with their arguments. Um, it's unfortunate in our times that people don't want to look at just the information. They want to see, you know, you know, someone uh, deliver the information in a particular way. So I'm capable of doing that and explaining those things in a way they'll understand. In the district so far, you you know, you have a lot of centrists in a district, but I think they're only centrists because they haven't found that one person that's able to deliver it to them. And there's not a lot of lefty people running in Broward County no, at that. Not at all. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of it is a, it's a lot of. Dade is the same way. I mean, Miami Dade yeah. is it's it's also a tough bubble down here. Yes. Yes, it yeah. is. It's, it's, it's like, I, I think it's like a silent majority situation, or if not majority, it's a silent plurality in a way. Um, a lot of people don't vote, they're not involved in politics, they don't have enough time. So I don't think of it as them necessarily being centered, I just think they don't have enough time to either learn about those issues or have conversations about it because they're working and um, the last thing they want is to talk about politics, unfortunately. And when they get someone who's able to really you know empower them instead of you know i think the, the biggest problem a lot of politicians make is they talk down to people they condescend to people this is what i'm going to do this is all we can do we can't do anything else and then when someone else comes along and say you know what what do you think what do you think we could do what would you like to have right and i think people want to see more of that they don't want to see more of we can't do this or you know uh, that's going to cost too much and that's just unfortunate that we still have democrats saying that you on the topic of things that cost a lot and are kind of broken. You mentioned a second ago your, um, you know, your your educational experience and growing up here. I'm a dad now at a Florida a Florida public school dad. You are a product of Florida public schools. Absolutely. My impression over the last year of being a dad of of, of a kid going to um, Florida public schools is that our schools in this state are finely built machines designed to encourage you, if you're somebody who has the means to send your kid to a private school or a charter school, to do that, and then to leave the other kids right. behind. <laughs> what, I wanna hear about you firsthand, what your experience was like going to Florida public schools, what you think is wrong, what you think is right, what, right. what, what needs to be fixed. Definitely, I, I'm, the first thing is I'm a steadfast supporter of public schools. I think, unfortunately, a lot of our public money are going to these for-profit institutions, and that's unfortunate, and I think we need to not do that anymore. Um, I come from a I come from a trend within the the left or uh, within the progressive movement. Where we I don't really see the need for private schools. I really think we should really do away with that. I, although that's a little f further in the future, <laughs> I think we need to fund our public. There's a couple schools. steps there between there and there, yes, <laughs> here and there. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. I think in public schools, I think I learned a lot, um, but I think the problem was that there was just one, not enough funding to do the things they wanted to do in certain schools. Some schools uh, had uh, more funding than others. There's a big disparity in amounts of uh, funding. That's why I think you know, we need to have equity in how we fund schools. If you live in a certain community and your property values are a lot higher and we're mm -hmm. taxing by property value, uh, by uh, property tax, your school is going to have a lot more funding um, right. going and towards- more resources available. And, more resources. And, and that doesn't even consider the fact that um, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but my daughter goes to a public school that is that is in a pretty good district, and 
active, engaged, right. generally wealthier parents right. who have this enormous PTA slush fund. Yeah. And that's money <laughs> nobody even talks about. That like there's these a lot of power there. Yeah, a few hundred thousand dollars just sitting there in yeah. certain schools. Yeah. And not you know, four miles down the road at, you know, a, a school that's less advantaged. That, I think yeah, that I, when I was in middle school I was at Partway Middle. Um and I was living in the Broward Estates area and the school of my destination uh, that I was assigned to was uh, Dillard High School, mm-hmm. um, which you know a lot of people thought was a bad school at the time. It's not a bad school. That school has turned around a lot, um, and everyone sees it as a bad school because it's in a particular neighborhood, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. Um, but I applied to Fort Lauderdale High School to uh, join their their matinee program, law matinee and public affairs, and get an ROTC there. And really, the the quality of education was a lot different than. Um, you find at Diller High School, and I think even though those schools are only like two and a half miles apart, it could have sent me down two different paths. Uh, that are, going to Diller could have sent me down a totally different pathway. Um, I was I'm very happy I was able to get into Fort Lauderdale High School. Uh, I, I notice a little a, a, one thing I notice in public education systems, or that, and this is very obvious to people for sure, is that definitely when you go to a school that's in a wider area in a, a, an area closer, um, you know, or out west or out east, particular, everyone thinks it's a lot better of a school, yeah. and that's not necessarily true. And I weird how that works. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just really weird. <laughs> well, and, it's like trying to down here in Miami. The, the classic example is trying to explain to people that Booker T. Washington High uh, School has this great magnet program, yeah. and that there's you know there's really good stuff going on there. And for just a lot of the more bourgeois people, and, and, and specifically in the urban core of Miami, which is now being strongly gentrified, yes. you know, yes. they're like, oh, no, 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 we're going to send our kid to Mast Academy or to, you know, right. one of these other, you know, uh, semi-private institutions. It's, it's really unfortunate. I mean, all public schools have some downsides to them, um, but, you know, there's really no difference between the private schools, too. It's hard to stress that to people, but the data is there. Um, private schools are not performing better than public schools. Uh, they perform either at the same level, um, with public schools having somewhat of an advantage, fortunately enough. Um, I, the, one of the big problems, I think, in public schools, and I stressed this during my schoolwork campaign, was that they focus so much on the standardized testing, on the grades, on uh, those things in a very bureaucratic and machine type way, yeah. but they forget about the social and behavioral learning aspect of our children. And, um, uh, uh, early childhood development, which is important too, um, especially uh, socioeconomics. Um, if you're coming from certain communities, certain backgrounds, so your parents are not making enough money, um, you are probably going to be in some way disadvantaged in the education system. Yeah, and, and you're going to be othered. You're going to be set aside. You're going to yeah. be like the kid who can't act right in class, but there's a yeah. reason. There's a reason. That. Yeah. And they never try to find out what their reason is. No. Never. is. Oh, he's a trouble child. Kick him out. Send him to alternative They just school. deal with the symptom and not yeah. the actual problem. Not the actual problem. And then he'll, he'll find his way into jail mm-hmm. and, in a few years. And then, oh, look, he's in jail. But they don't solve the actual problem. Well, he's starving at home. Mm-hmm. And he can't function in the morning at school because he doesn't have breakfast. He doesn't have breakfast. Yeah. And thank goodness we have a, a, a good school breakfast uh, program in Broward that's free now. Um, and you know he doesn't have any meals, and he goes home, and mom's never there, dad nowhere to be found, and you know he has to really raise himself and raise his siblings and go out and work, and then maybe he go out and he go commit a crime, 
And people think, oh, he's bad. He snatched a purse. He robbed a store. He did something. Yeah. Um, and I have some of my roots into that myself, so I understand it uh, in a way they don't understand because they don't want to listen. Um, and they don't really care, <laughs> to be honest. They don't. Someone said it best. They don't really care about us. Right. Uh, they'll they'll pretend that they do. And I think one of the things I was successful uh, that I was really successful in doing in a school board campaign. Um, and I do thank uh, Donna Corn for this a lot. She reached out to me after the election when she, you know, that was a really nasty election, so I wasn't expecting that to happen. She reached out, she met with me, uh, and now over 100 of our schools actually have the after-school enrichment programs in them, the wow. dinner programs for the students, that any Broward student can go and get dinner at particular schools um, um, at nighttime or up until, some schools I think are up until six, some are up until 4.45. Um, and they can get food and, and eat. Some of the things I think that, I, let me rephrase it, one of the biggest things now that I realize that pe I don't think the general population, especially childless people, people who don't have kids, understand about the way the world has changed in the last 40 years specifically, is this elongating of the day and the, the way that the work day for adults has gotten bigger and work has encroached on everything. You stay in the office later than you used to. You bring work home with you that you didn't used to. Uh, and the effect that that has on kids and the care for them and like the, the now needing to have dinner programs because yeah. parent, both parents are working so many hours and you know, they're just trying to keep their head above water. It's just, again, it's, it's a thing that's sort of a symptom of a, of a bigger problem. Essentially nowadays you have children raising themselves and I see it every day uh, in these communities where you have a 12-year-old, uh, you know, really raising a five-year-old. And that happened in my family a little bit too. My mom really did a lot and took care of us as much as possible. But when she wasn't there, my older sister had to make sure we had food, had to walk us to school, had to wake up early, walk us to school. In addition to getting her education herself, had to make sure we had our clothes on, had to make sure we got home, that we ate, and even when we didn't have anything. And then I had to do the same thing when I became the quote unquote man of the house after my older brother uh, went off to college. I had to do the same thing, make sure everything was in order and the house was taken care of when my mom was working. And you know, now you have children raising their parents too, unfortunately. And now the child, uh, in, many of the case, in, in many of these cases, now the child has to actually go out there and get the bread, get the money, get the resources to take care of the family. And this is just, this is just uh, you know, to me a travesty that the whole way society is organized now is just out of order entirely. Let me shift gears a little bit with you. One of the big wins that the, the left and that progressives have had in, the, in Florida, the few wins I should say, that we've had over the course of the last few years has been to get Amendment 4 on the ballot and then also to get it passed. And I would imagine um, you know, just mathematically knowing the way that law enforcement disproportionately affects black people versus white people and even versus Hispanics here in Miami, that that has to, Amendment 4 for those who don't remember, we had a special on it, but it's um, re-enfranchising uh, people who have been convicted of specific felonies, uh, I think nonviolent offenses. Um, and it's been slow going rolling it out have you in your in, in your community have you seen any kind of um groundswell around that or awareness do people know that that law passed and uh, what are you doing to try to get get the word out yes um my mom uh, actually just got her right to vote uh, restored after oh, wow, really? 25 years of not having it and she will get to vote for her son in her first election that she'll be allowed to vote in. she'll get to vote for her son next year that's incredible um, and that's great you know it's unfortunate what uh, 
the Ron DeSantis administration is doing. Um, I call it Jim Crow, the new Jim Crow, what he's trying to do in order to win re-election in 2022, but he's a vet that we're gonna get him out of there in 2022 and he's not going to steal away our right to vote. Uh, but Andrew Gillum is doing some things around this issue as well. And there are a lot of organizations that are uh, swelling around. I see a lot of groups, organizations, even some um, Democratic Party caucuses that are trying to get people to get people registered to vote and bring some more awareness out there because some people really don't know um, what's going on. And a little bit of context it, for anybody who, I don't need to tell this to anybody who's ever been broken in trouble with the law, but when that happens, Apart from having to deal with law enforcement and having to deal with the judicial system, yep. there's also an economic impact. There's a bunch of different fees and court fines and costs. And what the DeSantis administration, uh, along with their own with Republican cronies, have done is try to weaponize those outstanding debts or fines for people, sort of creating a new hurdle in their way of being in the way of them being able to to, to reenfranchise themselves. So yeah. that is something that happens to almost everybody who comes out of jail or out of prison or has gotten tangled up in, in, in the web of, of Florida's law enforcement, which is like one of the most punitive states in, yeah, the, in, in the union. I, I think it is the most punitive state, maybe th- beyond Texas. I think it is, according to Prison Policy Institute. We have like a couple hundred thousand people either behind bars or convicted, or even non-convicted people. And um, I call Probation, this the- parole, yeah. I call this the DeSantis poll tax, which is what it is. He's trying yeah. to put a poll tax on people in order to get their rights restored. And I'm like, you know, I mean, this is the most disgusting thing this guy has done yet, and he's not even started, gotten started yet. Yeah, he's only a year into the position. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad, and it's funny because I think that I think that a lot of people who policies, like there's a, there's a wide swath of Democrats or, or people who sit in the center who issues like that don't touch them. And, and what scares me and what worries me the most is that there's a media narrative that's evolving like oh wow look at DeSantis he's actually saying the words climate change he's actually you know doing these things you wouldn't expect this hardcore right-wing Trumpist guy to do and but that's sort of telling on yourself a little bit if you're the person saying that because what you're saying is like things like criminal justice reform don't matter to me because I'm never affected by it you know and that that's I think a little bit of a game that he's playing that that hopefully doesn't play out. Well, we're going to really see his real true colors and maybe in this next legislative session when Mike Hill introduces that Alabama-style abortion bill. Yeah. We'll see his real true colors there. And let's see if he's the you know, the governor that you know, shocked everybody. Well, let's see how, how much of a shock that'll be in, in the next legislative session. So let me, uh, let me go there with you because you're a young guy and um, you're a young person who, again, probably has, is a member of a generation that has the most to lose. Uh, from climate change, and we're widening out right now because there's, if you were to get elected, there's really only so much that one uh, the Florida Democratic uh, representative can do in this against the huge tide of, of, of rising, you know, sea, sea level and things like that. But what is your outlook? Uh, how do you talk to people? Do you find that that's an issue that animates people, particularly people that are in your wheelhouse and in your age group? I mean, like, what's what's your take on on climate change writ large? Absolutely, um, climate change is probably in the top three in my campaign is uh, one of the biggest issues because we're South Florida and sea level rise and saltwater intrusion, these are not issues that are gonna go away. Um, and <laughs> uh, it's unfortunate that we still have uh, people taking money from Bit Sugar as well and that's another uh, another unfortunate thing that's happening here as well. And there's only so much I, I would be able to do if I won the election, but I think 
you know, this has to be a conversation that continues and um, there needs to be action on this as well. My campaign calls for a Green New Deal in Florida. And what that looked like is gonna be a little bit different from what a Green New Deal nationally will look like. I think, uh, one, we have to try to transition away from fossil fuel industry, uh, fossil fuel energy in, into clean energy. The way to do that, there's many different um, ways to do that. I think uh, I'm, pl I'm placing my bet personally on nuclear energy as uh, likely to happen, to move us away from fossil fuel industry. I understand there's a lot of people who don't support nuclear energy yeah. for reasons I understand too. Um, but our, our goal right now should be to get off of uh, fossil fuels as soon as possible and then let's find other ways to get clean energy um, in a state and, and, and addressing sea level rise in the same way. But a Green New Deal is gonna do several things. First, we're gonna move towards uh, having a carbon neutral economy in Florida. Second, we can create thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of jobs in our state. And we can do things like rebuilding our, our infrastructure in Florida, which is uh, unfortunately ancient. Swiss cheese, we just had a huge, not that far from where you live, up in North Beach, we had a huge um, sinkhole open up yesterday. And it Sad. swallowed up a huge portion of, of one of the streets up there. It's it's and. That kind of stuff is happening every day. Half of, the, half of the, the not the sewers, but half of the septic tanks down here don't work. Yeah. And that's that's a messy problem too. Everything, so. Everything's crumbling and uh, DeSantis thinks the best thing to do is put another toll road in, in yeah, Florida. And I think, <laughs> you know, that's not gonna do anything, uh, you know, except, you know, kill off the Florida Panther and other uh, horrible things. But we should be focused on Everglades restoration, rebuilding our highways, our bridges, our wastewater plants, which are outdated. Um, uh, updating um, and also adding more transportation infrastructure as well. You know, I, I like that you guys have a metro mover here in Miami. Mm -hmm. We should try to have something like that in Broward County. And we, and we should try to connect the two and connect in a better two. way than in what we have right way. now where you expect working people to pay, I think, something like $25. I mean, if you do a round trip every day, 25 bucks. That's too much. That's too much. It's ridiculous. That's, who can afford that? Um, <laughs> there's a human element, though, right? We talk a lot on this show about yes. climate change, and uh, it's one of the topics that comes up. And we always talk about the perception that South Florida is rich, is wealthy, that there's all this money. And there's also this perception that since there's so much money in real estate and tourism, that the problem will get figured out, right? Somebody's going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. What always tends to happen, and you can look back, I mean, I don't know, however long you, you need to, you can go back to find examples, is that the most marginalized communities are the ones that pay the price, right? right? They're the ones who... Right now, here in Miami, Lemon City, Little Haiti, getting yeah. pushed out because it's higher ground. Um, in, in Broward, I'm sure yeah. you're all facing Absolutely. similar situations. <laughs> climate, what the, already has been called climate gentrification. Yes. And in my neighborhood. Yeah. It, 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 it's like there is the science, science part of the problem, mm -hmm. and then there's the post-science part where it's like, okay, a lot of this has already happened. We need to figure out how we're going to take care of the people who like I we I talked at a show that we did recently where I mentioned the fact that um, like if my house got knocked over tomorrow I have insurance and I have some resources and my family we right. would probably be okay but the people around us in a radius of like a few miles there would be so many people who are poor and who aren't able to do anything and it would be a humanitarian crisis. Um, I, what, what do you think about that? What do you think of the human side of the equation? when it comes to climate change down here in Florida with, with people who we live in, with in our communities with? Extremely, extremely important because uh, we see the potential of having a, uh, thousands of climate refugees just from South Florida along. Um, and I get, I get the argument they're saying, but at the same time, you know, 
that doesn't translate over to what's going to be happening to people who live in Cistrunk or Little Haiti or in, in uh, marginalized communities. And I've seen this in my neighborhood as well with uh, a lot of these sky rises. Uh, you know, they're building up uh, more sky rises in my neighborhood um, now. They're you know moving a lot west. They're gentrifying the area and they're kicking us out. And then we we won't have anywhere to go because you go east of the beach, you can't live over, can't afford anything there. You go west, Sawgrass, can't afford anything over there in West End, Pembroke Pines. And the only thing you can do is, you know, find another place to live. And, you know, climate change isn't just about the sea level rise. It's about the quality of the air, the quality of the water uh, in those communities, the infrastructure in those communities, and sadly, the economics um, as well. Um, we have a lot of, uh, I believe they're called free fund um, areas. Mm -hmm. uh, there's one that right across the street from my house and there's a playground. Um, oh, part super, super fun. Super fun. Super fun, uh, yeah. Free funds. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking of freedom. Um, super funds. There's a super Freedom dividend, yeah. Freedom <laughs> dividend. Yeah, super fun sites. We have some of them down here, too. Yes. Um, we have, I think, in the last 10 years, we've excavated three or four different public parks that had toxic ash underneath yes. them. Yep. One of our super fun sites is a, uh, a water... Um, uh, oh, not distillery, a water, uh, a water main up in North and Hialeah <laughs> that is basically just a toxic plume of, of yeah. trash that yeah. is at any given time a few feet of sediment away from getting into our ground supply of water. And I always wonder what will happen when, I mean, you've got a city of 50,000 people like Flint that have been without water for going on a decade now, but I can't wait to see what happens when, when it happens in Coral Gables. Yeah. Or some place <laughs> where the average household income is one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. They won't be happy, and a lot of it is uh, a lot of it is is the I, I call it environmental racism, um, and you know it's not an issue unless it's affecting certain communities that have an income over one hundred thousand dollars. It's not an issue when you have, but it, to me, it's an issue when you have a playground on a Superfund site or a school yeah. on a Superfund site, or you know it's right across the street from my house. So I breathe in that air every day. I go out there with the kids and I play every chance I get with the kids and. We're right there on a Superfund site, and uh, they'll say the levels are, you know, it's safe. Within the acceptable <laughs> limit of, yeah, okay. The Florida Department of Environment, blah, 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 five minutes of touch for there. I'm like, yeah, they said that. Then Obama will take a little sip of the water, but like just the Everything, tiny. You know, the water tastes fine to me. <laughs> Seems fine yeah. to me. Yeah, with the filter. But I think those are going to continue to be issues, and with these hurricanes uh, that are getting stronger, um, yeah, they have insurance on their property, but yeah. my mom doesn't have insurance right. on their property. Our house doesn't have insurance. Uh, most people in my neighborhood, we don't have insurance. So if something happened, those landlords, uh, they'll have insurance and they'll build those properties back up. Yeah. And most renters yeah. don't. And also, a, a little talked about thing is that most people who, most specifically elderly people who own their homes right. outright, they don't have insurance either. Because, by the way, it doesn't make fucking sense to have insurance because the insurance company never pays you. So yeah. if you have a choice of either buying, I don't have a choice, I have a mortgage. They force me to have insurance. But if I had the choice to not have insurance, I probably wouldn't because they never fucking pay. So um, it's it's a real catch 22. And it's expensive too. It's yes, it's insanely expensive. I, I and it gets somebody, more and more every year. I know somebody who's uh, spending, he has the money, but he's spending like 3,000 a month on yeah. home insurance. and. He can afford it, so yeah, but like most people can't afford that. And um, I think, you know, the insurance industry isn't going to make, they're not going to pay all that money out of, uh, you know, we had a Hurricane Darian style hit here, 
you think, you know, State Farm or no. any of these insurance companies are going to come out? So this is why I had a, a good plan uh, for this. We should have public uh, insurance uh, on this. So I said, you know, it's taxpayer funded. You don't really have to chip in every month or anything. It's coming out of your taxes. And it'll be similar to what FEMA's doing. It'll be yeah. under FEMA. And anytime uh, anyone's property is damaged or destroyed because of any natural uh, disaster, um, we're paying for that collectively right. as a you society. Claim it through there. And yes. Yeah. And you, you don't need to pay out of your pocket for that. And this will help uh, people who are disadvantaged the most or who are affected most by this or who may have lost their properties or have had some major damages. They'll be able to get uh, assistance with that because we can't control the, the natural, we can't control the, so why are we charging people and punishing them because of uh, the weather? I mean, if we're gonna punish somebody for the weather, we should be punishing the fossil fuel industry and the 100 corporations that are contributing to climate change because they're the reason why these uh, natural disasters are happening, not Susan, who lives yeah. in a two-bedroom apartment. Who let her insurance lapse or yeah. just never got it again. It, it's funny because public insurance is just another one of these things that when you, when you, it, it's a necessity, we need it. Yeah. And when you remove the profit incentive from it, it works just as well. Yep. It's just like the health insurance world. <laughs> yep, just if like you remove insurance. the the, health, the the profit incentive, it still just works just fine. And for some reason, we've told ourselves a story where if it's not some open market where, by the way, you can only get like three different insurance plans anyway. Yep. <laughs> but like when they, when they came, when I bought my house, they came with three insurance plans and that was what I had to choose from. And uh, yeah, for some reason, we've told ourselves this story where the choice and the, you know, all of this, you know, false, I false choice and, you know, worshiping markets. And I say, here's, like the, here's the choice. The choice is half your medicine. The choice is not having enough money to pay for your health care. The choice is not going to the doctor and then dying as a result. The choice is not really having a choice. That doesn't sound like freedom to me. That doesn't sound like I have liberty. <laughs> what sounds like liberty to me is having a health care system uh, where, yeah, you may be paying $200 more in tax, federal income tax a, a, a month, but at the end of the day, you're not paying $16,000 right. <laughs> to the healthcare uh, corporations who are making profit and who are, not, who are denying. And people are saying, I don't want the government to be deciding uh, your healthcare. Well, I don't want a private company to be in a death panel deciding right. you know, whether or not I get the insurance or anything that I need or get the, the medical assistance that I need. So I'm glad that I have Medicaid uh, right now. Um, and the most I had to pay out of my pocket for Medicaid was $2 once, $2 uh, to, to uh, get any assistance at all. Everything Extremely popular free. program. Extremely people popular who, program. People who use it love it. And love it, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's almost like it works, right? It's crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> and the only downside to it was there was the wait times with it, but that's because Florida didn't expand Medicaid. Right. And that's the only reason yeah, why. Yeah, and then in other places you see where they did expand it, like in, yes. in Kentucky, it uh -huh. was, uh, apart from the, the political, like the discourse and the just general vitriol and the having to rename it from Obamacare because nobody would ever want to have something, you know, called Obamacare. The, the, the expansions in Medicaid actually worked yeah. really well. They did. And, and did the job. Really excellent program. I, I get all of my, you know, I, when I go to get my uh, medicines, I get a little paper, um, like a little receipt. And I don't have to pay anything, but I still get the receipt and I see the prices for these medicines. And I think I see stuff like $687. I'm like, if I did not have Medicaid or if my mom or if I was making, you know, just a tad bit more than I make now, I would be having to come out of my pocket and pay hundreds. Yeah. And, and, and that's probably a pretty good, what you're seeing listed there is probably a pretty good price for the medicine because Medicaid is a huge right. purchaser and negotiator, exactly, uh, for 
folks who are on smaller group plans. I mean, those 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 amount at retail or people who are buying retail. I mean, imagine what it probably what the cost probably. I think is. the most dystopian thing I saw the other day uh, was a, a vending machine at uh, Sawgrass Mills Mall, uh, a RX vending machine, oh my God. and it had a bunch of medicines in there, and you just swipe your card and you pick. And it's so dystopian. Hi, I am your pharmacist. <laughs> you need this, get it, and they can get the medicines, and that was just so scary. That's terrifying. That's one of the most terrifying things I've ever heard. I'm sure we'll see those coming soon, replacing every pharmacist in Absolutely. CVS and, and Walgreens in the coming. And they'll say, uh, people, they're, they're not going to keep their doctors and everything. And that's, that's a big hoax. Uh, you will be able to keep your doctor. But most people aren't concerned about whether or not they're going to keep their daughter. They're, mm -hmm. they're concerned more about, am I going to get care? Can anyways? I get, yeah, can I get care? <laughs> can I Do, get medicine? Without going broke, without putting my entire family in debt. Like, yeah. I, I, I switch my doctor, you know, any second if it meant, I, I'm gonna pay less or, or yeah. not. I mean, I, fortunately, I don't have to do that, but uh, it's just sad that I have something that m everyone should have, and you know, they they say, oh, you you're under a specific uh, income level, that's why you get it. Yeah. And I say, let's just give it to everybody, and right. let's just have an equitable society. And there's no need to means test these programs. Yeah, the means testing is. And that's the, the yeah. I mean, like you're touching on what the key uh, stress point right now in the Democratic primary is, yeah. is uh, a group of people who want to continue to means test everything and, yeah. and undermine the viability of everything. Mayor Pete, yeah, and say Pete. some names. <laughs> <laughs> and another group who uh, more or less, even though there's some wafflers here and there who have, who have, who have kind of gone back and forth a little bit, but uh, one specific name who does not move an inch and hasn't moved an inch for 70 years, um, uh, but they understand the viability of universal right. programs, and that when everybody has skin in the game, then right. everybody's willing to protect it. Right. And the minute you start saying like, oh, well, millionaires shouldn't be, millionaires' kids shouldn't be able to go to school for free. By the way, a millionaire to me is anybody who makes over $100,000 a year, right. which would be two parents making $50,000 a year who right. in Miami would be broke. And right. you know, <laughs> it, it, it's just a quagmire the minute you go down that road. So I guess, you know, Millionaires shouldn't have fire departments. They shouldn't drive on our roads. Yeah. They shouldn't go to Parks. our schools, yeah. public schools, anything. They shouldn't have anything in society because they're millionaires. I see, no, uh, that's ridiculous argument. Everyone should get these programs. This is part of the social contract that is, should be available to everybody. Um, why are we trying to limit who gets these programs? You actually incentivize them to want to privatize these programs if you do that right. in the end because now <laughs> it's just, I don't understand. I do understand what they're saying, and what they're saying is that we want to listen to our donors, mm -hmm. and that's the sad part. Yeah, I want to catch back up with you mm -hmm. as you get Absolutely. further down ca campaign, the campaign trail, and uh, let's tell people where they can um, where they can catch up with you right now, where they can uh, donate where yes. they can take part in the campaign. Yes, absolutely. So if you, you want to donate, visit ElijahManley.com. Um, also, we're going to need people to volunteer. So even if you're phone banking for a, a little bit, that helps out. I'm on Twitter at I Elijah Manley. I promise I won't piss you off. I will. Um, I'm also on Facebook as well and uh, Instagram at Real Elijah Manley. So find me there and follow me and keep up with updates. Join my email list as well. All right. Thanks, Elijah. Thanks for coming by. Thank you.